0: you may have heard recently and probably for the last few years, this whole thing called the stage three tax cuts. Now, just recently, the Albanese government has come out and announced that they will repeal and tweak the proposed tax cuts that were going to be effective 1 July 2024. We're going to talk about that and what it means for most of us income earners. We can't do today's episode without Sphere Home Loans. Over 70% of Aussies now use a mortgage broker, which says a few things. They're good at what they do, it suits people's needs, and they're getting a good deal. Which it's funny, John, like it used to be like 55%. So the mortgage broker really has increased.
1: And I think it's good to know that the banks are really getting behind this distribution method. Yeah, I think they've, they've sort of joined forces now. It used to be banks very... Uh... I suppose, standoffish against mortgage brokers, wasn't it? But mm. now, like growing up, it was it was just bank. We, had, we were loyal to our bank manager and, well, my parents were anyway. Mm. But yeah, the tide's definitely turned and yeah, you're just no-brainer for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there you go, Sphere Home Loans. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. If you're after a new mortgage, your first home you want to refinance, get an investment property, you can search Sphere Home Loans. They'll help you wherever you are in Australia. My name's Glenn James, joined by John Pigeon from The Property Podcast. And for the very first time, this is money. Okay, so I just want to date stamp this episode. We're actually recording it on the 31st of January, uh, which is Wednesday. This goes up on the following Tuesday, the 6th. Um, Right now, as recording this, these proposed tax cuts and the changes, they have just been announced. They're not legislated. Um, The coalition government will need to support these changes to get it through. If not, the crossbench will need to um, be involved and there could be some strings attached. So it might not change. It might not be exactly what we're going to talk about here, but uh, effectively we'll, we'll talk about it anyway. So the long and the short was the stage three tax cuts was going to remove one bracket, one big tax bracket. So basically most income earners would be taxed at 30%. What that really meant was because there was a removal of one, I guess, stage in the tax rate. People earning over a hundred and eighty thousand dollars would save nine thousand dollars a year, mm. which is huge. Basically, from forty-five thousand dollars of earnings to two hundred thousand dollars, mm. you would only pay thirty percent tax.
1: Yeah, and then it jumps to forty-five, or proposed yes. to jump to forty-five. So. Yeah, at two
0: hundred yeah. grand. Yeah. So I mean, so that would, you know, mean that someone earning, you know, over 200 grand mm. um, would basically pay nine grand less of tax. Yeah. So, and that's what I mean. Like, it, you know, I'm in this category and I thought that was a bit rich.
1: <laughs> but yeah. That's
0: the, the socialist <laughs> capitalist in me. Like, come on, I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are probably outraged. But when f- almost, it was like around 50, 55% of government revenue comes from income tax, that's a big problem. And it's it's a structural yeah. problem that needs to change.
1: Yeah. Well, it's going to be more of a problem for the government than everyone else if, if they did make that mm. change. And I think, um, yeah, a lot of people around 200K were licking their lips, weren't they? But uh, it was for the middle income earners, which is what – 80 to 150, yeah, quite say quote unquote most people. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that their life wasn't changing significantly, and that's probably what the government realised. Yeah,
0: and so the whole and I don't care who anyone votes for. That the facts are the Albanese government all through the pre-election, um, the election, will will not change the tax mm. proposed tax cuts because they're legislated to start from first of. July, 2024. um, They've come back and go, actually, you know what? We're actually changing it now. So the opposition or the coalition now are probably going to be like, Oh, you're breaking promises and all that. I think, you know, politics, it's wild and something needed to be done. I think, and my, I'm just saddened that I don't think in Australia we'll ever get wholesale tax reform. And I've said it on these podcasts for a long time. Like, We've got to move from income tax being the main source of government revenue. Like, don't muzzle an ox, as the old proverb said. (laughs) Like, (laughs) let us just work. Can we look at taxing spending? I don't know. But either way, with an aging population and, you know, a heap of boomers are retiring and will stop work soon, Mm. like, there's a whole, like, and the NDIS is awesome. That needs to be funded. All the defense stuff that needs to be funded. Like there is a big problem in Australia. Aged care will need to be funded. Where's the money coming from? If, and this is, I'm not an economist, I know enough to be dangerous, but if Mm. the main source of government income is from people working and with an aging population and people stop working, two things are gonna happen. We're gonna turn off government benefits, which people get outraged when you you take money from them or two, we're gonna tax the working class more.
1: Yeah, and there's or
0: three. We've got to get the money from somewhere else.
1: There's been talk, probably in the last ten years, that the the pension might not be around when when I get there or you get there, and next generation gets there. So that is absolutely a concern. Mm. Um, and and it, I suppose it just rings home to say, well, what are we doing now to set ourselves up so we don't have to rely on the government? We pay our taxes along the way, and. At the end of the day, whether we save $1,000 or $9,000 from these tax cuts, it's, mm. it's what we're doing as a household to ensure that we take advantage of that. Because yeah. um, for a lot of uneducated, ill disciplined, that money, those savings, is just going to be absorbed into life. Yeah, but that's good
0: to say. But if you're earning 60 grand a year and from 1 July you save $100 in tax, mm. where Old Mate earning 200 grand, saving 9000 that also is a bit rich. Doesn't oh, yeah, up. totally. Yeah.
1: I agree. Yeah. Like it's, it, it needed to alter. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, those that are – and probably preaching to the converted, those that are listening in right now are going to be, okay, I'm going to put this aside mm. and and put it to good use. Uh, others will kick it down the So road.
0: basically the long and the short of it is from the 1st of July, the Albanese government want to do the following. And that's why I just wanted to stress this might change. Once the politics get involved, the proposal from the Albanese government is from zero to 18,200 still remains tax free. From, we'll call it 18,200 to 45,000, 16% tax as opposed to 19%. So there's a tax uh, reduction there. From 45 to 135,000, it's a 30% tax rate. Now that's instead of between 45 and 120 at 32.5%. From 135 to 190, it will be 37% tax rate. And then instead of from $180,000, 45%, it will be from $190,000, you'll pay 45 cents in the dollar or 45% tax. Now, effectively, what that means is a person earning 40 grand will get a tax cut of $654. A person earning $100,000 will get a tax cut of $2,179. Uh, which is $804 more than what you would have got under um, the stage three tax cuts. And a person earning $200,000 will still get a tax cut of $4,529, which is almost half the year around the $9,000 that was going to happen. So Mm. look, I think it had to be done. Something had to happen. Um, But my comments are, there has to be a broader discussion around tax. Yeah. Do we increase the GST, which is a political landmine, which probably never happen? increase the GST, reduce income tax, increase social security, tax-free threshold? I don't know. I'm not an economist, but what's this space? The proposed stage three tax cuts will likely change. We know that because there is now political will. The Albanese government is like, no, we are changing this we'll fall on our sword, which is fine. And if things change, things change. I get that. Uh, the only other interesting thing, John, is economists predicted that you know in the coming year, there might be two interest rate drops. They're saying this proposed tax cut might mean that there'll only be one interest rate drop because um, the economy will be lubricated a little bit more with Mm -hmm. people having more money to spend as opposed to lubricating the economy with an interest interest rate decrease.
1: Yeah. So, all in all, majority of the country is paying 30% tax, really. And that's what the
0: government or treasury want. They want Mm -hmm. the majority of income earners to be paying 30 cents in the dollar.
1: So, 45 to 135 you're on 30%. Uh, and and obviously, all companies are paying 30% as well. So, small businesses as, as well, which is um, – yeah, I, I, I think it's a good outcome. Yeah, yeah. Personally.
0: Yeah. Awesome.
1: Well, there we have it.
0: Tax, am I right? Okay. There's a question. Cassie actually wrote in to Instagram And I happen to see it. I don't always see the Instagram inbox. Mm -hmm. Hi there. Do you have an episode on your podcast about superannuation as a sole trader? If so, what's it called so I can find it? Love your podcast, by the way, new listener here. Well, we don't, Cassie. Well, we may have in the past, but today we're going to talk about it. John, what's your thoughts on – and we'll just make it up. Like Mm -hmm. someone could be 29 years old. They've worked for the last nine years and they're like, I want to start my own business. I'm a sole trader. Yeah. And – You know, you might be doing some consulting or something like that or um, I don't know, like what's your thoughts about this super thing as a sole trader, knowing that you only have to pay superannuation
1: if you are an employee. Yes. So
0: you don't have to pay super if you are a sole trader.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I think we've spoken about it a few times, Glenn, where as when you're starting your own business uh, you've got money that uh, you're putting back into the business to grow the business, and and super might get put to the side for the first year or so. Mm. Ideally, you want to continue to be contributing to super regardless of your entity, whether mm. you're a sole trader, company, individual, etc. So, my ideal world feeling on John this did quotation
0: yes, marks in person everyone yes
1: is if you. Have the funds and the means, regardless of whether you're an employee, I would be contributing to Super. Mm. But if you're if you set
0: up your own company and you're an employee of your own company, you have to statutorily anyway.
1: Yes, that's right. But as a sole trader, you've got the option to. Yes, that's so right. So I'm saying you still should be doing it as a sole mm. trader. Realistic real world 2024 might not happen in the first year. Yeah. Because the funds aren't there and you're trying to you can say, look, well, okay, I can put away to super, or I can put that money back into my business to grow it so I can eventually put more into super later on, kicking the can down the road. I personally, if I had that choice, I'd say, yeah, it'll be the latter. I would be putting money back into my business to build it. If I can do both, fantastic. You? Yeah, I was just thinking I might make a a bit of
0: a controversial comment uh, on this podcast, which might be a first time. For this year? For this year, when we talk about sole trader, you're effectively a small business, okay? Yes. Unless, even if you're a contractor and it's a fixed contract to government or something like that, right? So we know that 75 to 80% of small businesses fail within the first three to five years, mm-hmm. okay? So what I'm thinking is when you start your business, the priority is to get money in the door. Obviously, you need to eat, pay yourself, pay business expenses, and be standing for the next week to do it again. Yes. So when I started my first business, I did start as a sole trader. I wasn't paying any extra into super, didn't have to by law. And practically, oh, do I want to put $500 into super this month or pay rent? Pretty simple equation. Uh, Rent needs to be paid. What I would probably hypothesize is, and this is the controversial comment, once you start your small business, if you are a sole trader, if you're not paying yourself super and at the 1st of July this year, the SG rate is Mm
1: 11.5%,
0: but we'll just call it 10% for loose, you know, bush maths. Within three to four years, I reckon if you're not paying 10% of your earnings that you're drawing out of the business into super, you need to. Secondly, if you're not because you don't have the money, you need to question whether you can do this business or not.
1: I don't think that's controversial. I think that is logic, Mm. yeah, because at the three-year stage, and everyone says three years, if it's not working, get out, Mm. Uh, but what if I'm enjoying it, right? But there's still an opportunity cost. Yeah, correct. But I would argue for most Australians, and this might be more controversial, Mm. that 11.5% you probably won't miss anyway at that stage. No, and and what I would say is set it up even if it's a weekly payment. You know, do
0: if it's $5,000 divided by 52, mm. you know, call it $100 a week. Just set $100 a week transfer into your super fund by BPAY. Mm. And then you claim that on tax at the end of the year. Build it in from year 3. Just do yeah. it automatically each week. Yeah. You don't have to wait, just do that. Get it happening automatically. But the thing is, like when you said John like, "Oh, you might be enjoying it and all that." Well, that's fine that you're doing your self-employed thing. Mm. You're enjoying it. You don't have enough money to pay yourself super. I mean, what are you doing? Like you're losing out your trade of time into the workforce, the universe, the goods and services where you could earn more money working for someone else, getting super and getting paid really well. And that's the opportunity cost that you are – potentially doing yourself or your family a disservice because you are worth more to just go
1: out and work for someone than run your own business. And and financially, that's a logical mm. statement, right? Lifestyle-wise, and and some people come from the train of thought of, okay, I get to do what I want when I want, regardless of the money I earn. And yes, I could earn more money elsewhere. I could go to the mines or I could do whatever, mm. I'm not contributing to super, but I'm doing everything I want right now. Mm. And and some people make that decision that's not financially the best outcome. Yep. And they could be
0: legitimate things like the business could be going really well and, oh, Glenn, I'm, I'm in my fourth year and my business is going really well. Oh, that 30 grand that I could have put into super or the 20 grand or the 10 grand that I could put into super, I'm going to buy another piece of equipment because you are still really in establishment stage. Like, you're not in fresh startup. Mm. Like, three to four years, you're getting to the fact that you're established. Sure, you might make the judgment call that I will invest into some equipment or back into the business. That's all well and good. But I don't want you to ever think that you're not above diversification in your financial life. And a lot of small businesses are like, oh, my business is my super. That's fine. What if your business is worth nothing when you retire? And I hypothesize, but even drip feeding a weekly amount into your super account, you won't miss it and you're taking money off the table. Mm. Now, if you're being self-employed for eight years and you haven't really paid your super, you're you're a contractor, there's no real big investments that you need to make. And I'm talking capital investment, paying rent at the shop or paying ongoing P&L costs. That's not investment. I'm talking equipment or like rent isn't equipment. So, I'm saying if you have been more than five years, four years, six years, whatever that is, and you're not paying super as a self-employed person, you need to start because you need to get money off the table, out of the business into another asset. And this is an interesting conversation that I hadn't even thought of, John, when I was reading this. We know that as a self-employed person, you've got the option, particularly when you're a contractor, where I, whether I contribute super to my retail super fund and that gets invested you might have a biggest passion to be a property owner, you could consciously say, I'm going to save up and buy an investment property Mm. because we're building retirement wealth and we're taking money off the table from our business
1: and diversifying whether that's in super or whether that's into an investment property. So I think when we first started contributing to super as business owners, it actually sharpened our financial wealth across business and personal, because it really made us think, okay, we're paying ourselves a wage, this portion goes to super and this amount stays in the business. So it gave us some structure. I think previous to that, it was – it. we were guilty of one big money pit and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, which is personal, which is – which is business. Uh, Nothing's going to super. We should be doing that. Are we paying ourselves a wage? Is it a distribution? Like it was just muddied waters there for Mm. a while. So that's another benefit of having that structure in place.
0: And that's another thing as well. Like if you have been self-employed for four to five years or even two years or one year, like you've got to set your banking structures up. Yeah. So the more money you get, the easier it is to manage personal expenses, separate account than your business expenses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I would say if you are self-employed and you are building a business, um, me personally, I'm always going to cap out the super because I'd rather pay 15% tax and park it for the long term than pay 30% outside of super. So from a tax planning and a wealth creation, capping out your super will always be better in terms of tax in the first instance then go and do your property. That's some unsolicited advice. Hey, um, Kayla asks, when calculating rental yield on an existing investment property, is it annual rental income divided by purchase price or divided by current value?
1: Very good, Kayla. Depends what answer you want. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's a really good exercise to do because if you've held property for some time, uh, it's, uh, it's good to look back To see what the rental yield or the gross yield was when I first bought the property, and now what the gross yield is as a result of the value increasing, hopefully, and the rental income increasing. So I think you can do both, but generally speaking, we're looking at gross yield before we buy the property. So if uh, round numbers, if we buy something for $500,000 and the property rents for $500 a week, it's a five percent gross yield, so it's it's rent per week times by fifty two weeks in the year divided by your purchase price. You can then do the same exercise down the track and say, well, now my value is eight hundred thousand, my rent is seven hundred dollars a week. Uh, we can divide that. It's going to actually be a less yield because the value has skipped ahead of the of the rental income. You could also do a third option, which is existing rent income divided by your purchase price way back when, mm. right? So, we're going in, we're buying with a 5% yield. We then look back and say, right, in five years' time, my property's worth 800, um, but I only paid 500 for it, but I'm getting 700. Now, my rental yield's like 8%. Mm. Um, but now, if I was to purchase that property, the actual yield would only be 4% because I've had outstanding growth. Interesting you say those numbers. I just while well,
0: you're speaking then, loosely crunched one of my properties, at the current market value now and the rent that it's getting, it's a 3.8% gross yield. Yes. Okay, so that's before depreciation, mm. tax add backs and yep. all that stuff, right? So, And when you bought it? And then current rent now versus the purchase price, 6.76%. There you go. Yep. Now, if I did... Um, current rent divided by outstanding mortgage, which is a bit
1: frivolous, Yeah, it'd be a lot more than that. Yeah, absolutely. So, but when you bought the property, yeah. what was the yield?
0: Uh, let's have a look. I'll just quickly work that out. Times 52 divided by
1: 400.
0: It was five and a half percent.
1: Five and a half percent. Okay. Yield. Yeah. Yeah. So... And, and those that are really loyal long-term listeners, thank you. Um, you may have heard me speak of this prior to say when I first started my portfolio back at 21, my goal was to have my portfolio at a 6% gross yield, which meant in those days, the good old days, interest rates were probably about the same as they were now. But a 6% gross yield pretty much means that... Their property's income is wiping its own face. So it's covering most, uh, if not all, the uh, running costs, interest only, doesn't pay down the principal, of course, but it covers the running costs. And if you can get your property portfolio to that stage, it means that you don't have to work to prop the portfolio up. It's working on its own while you go and do your own thing.
0: So, based on my little thing, and I mean, yeah, like you said to Kayla, there's no real answer. You can work out both just for information but there's no way under the sun I would ever need to or want to sell this property.
1: Well, there's no downside to keeping it, really. No, that's right. Like it the mortgage is bugger all
0: as you say, quote unquote wipes its own face. Mm. Sits there it's I'm doing P&I on it. Um I don't love to get into the weeds of um net yield. I don't think it's no matters, but just on that with your investing if you had an ETF in ordinary money, which is your own name, and you had to look at the last 12 months return, that return is going to be after fees. So after the MER. So net. Yeah. Hmm. There might be examples. And if you want the gross, you just add the MER to it or like 0.05 if it's an A200 index fund. And that would be like the the gross return. Yeah. Now with your superannuation, when you look at superannuation returns... It's after fees and taxes, right? So it's
1: taken out the
0: fifteen percent super rate and yep. CGT throughout yep. the year. So that's why apples ain't apples, no. or bananas, or whatever the saying is with comparing fruit.
1: Yeah, and you can make anything
0: look good, can't you? You really um, can, and and that's the thing. Like I love Kayla is asking this when calculating: is it an annual rental income, or purchase price, or current value? We'll just do both and have a look at it.
1: Yeah, if you've got an existing property, like it's great to look back and say well, what was it, what is it now, etc, but the the gross yield for most people that will deal with is about what is it before I purchase it? Because once I've purchased, it, it's essentially too late. You can't just say, well, now I'm charging $600 a week, even though the market rate's only 450 Yeah, it just won't happen. So yeah, Kayla, good fodder, that's for sure. What do you think is a reasonable yield for an investment property? Gross. Yeah. So gross yield at the minute, I would say, and very different between units and houses, mm. right, because we're paying more for the land component. And the larger the land size, the, the lower the gross yield because you're paying more for more land. Most parts of Australia, okay, let's just split them up for a minute. Melbourne and Sydney, houses less than 3% generally, which is pretty low. There's some real holding costs there when we look at those sort of percentages. If we look at units there, we might be, we might get to 4%. Right, maybe worst case five. Um, now, when I say worst case, what you're buying there is probably a one better. Mm. Uh, around the country, you can it's still achievable to get five percent gross yields. You can go and get six, seven, eight percent yields, but they're generally going to be cheaper properties uh, in smaller locations. Mm. Um, so, but the
0: higher the yield, the more risk, as a general rule.
1: Well. Yes and no. It's a balance, right? Because, and, and this is what makes property really interesting and, and probably keeps me in relevant, is, is it's never a one-size-fits-all because if you're using cash versus equity as deposit, mm. then your holding costs are completely different. Mm. But do I use cash that's sitting in my offset account on my mortgage to prop up an investment property that's tax-deductible? Mm. That's the question we've got to ask. But if we go and get ourselves a 10% yield, Absolutely. There may be some volatility in the asset class we've got in a particular location. So in answer to your long-winded uh, question, um, answer here is probably anywhere between 4 to 5% is uh, quite normal at the minute. Um, but if we're down around 3%, usually we've got a really blue chip property that will perform consistently over the journey, but will come with some major holding costs. Well,
0: there you are. So, great question. Thanks for asking. We take a lot of these questions from our Facebook group. Uh, If you want to become a member of our Facebook group, just search This Is Money on Facebook and apply to join the group. We screen everything. We'll be back right after this. Radio, we are back and we're doing the community segment of the week. Now, we asked you in the Facebook group, This Is Money, what inspired you to choose your current career path and how has it evolved over time? I'll start. Eliza said, the birth of my son who unfortunately was born silently into this world. That day I said, screw it. I'm actually going to pursue my nursing. I was on maternity leave grieving and applied. Aged care is my passion. I've had a few different nursing positions and community nursing with the aged population is where my heart lives, particularly dementia. So there you go, like lots of reactions to that one. So good on you, Eliza. John's pulling up the sheet, so I'll just keep reading. Maddie said, hunger mostly. I like snacks. Snacks cost money. Now I earn good money to eat good snacks. I'd say it's progressing nicely. Yeah, a few reactions there. Shane, a previous supervisor poached me to a role. Now, I love working in IT in schools for 10 years and counting, mostly because I think we get to play with lots of toys. For educational purposes, I need a drone. Ash said, my sister passed away at a young age due to being a drug addict. Oh, my goodness. It made me want to be in a role that actively helped people. So, I did a diploma of community services. I started out in disability, now working in family violence. I've done many different roles before getting into the community services sector, retail, admin, mining, delivery, call center and more. And John, there's a common theme with all people that have been successful with their career. And I think successful means I don't hate my life when I wake up in the morning.
1: <laughs> it's, it's judged in different ways, isn't mm. it? But generally speaking, if you're enjoying most days, you, that's considered success, mm. isn't it? And then there's this underlying thing of passion, yeah, I actually like doing this. It's a passion. Yeah, it's, it's not a chore. No. Emily
0: said, I've and John hasn't got his thing up, so I'll just keep reading them. Emily, I've chosen every career choice on a whim. Interesting. I did med imaging for a year and didn't love it, so I switched to chem. Then my units lined up with nanotechnology, so I switched to that. I had to pick one at honours, physics or chem, so I chose chem. I decided to do a PhD because, you know, why not? Well, same. Went to industry for a bit, back to academia because I was bored, into research infrastructure because I could be around more microscopes, now in supercomputing because why not? So that's an interesting one there, like clearly a very switched on person and I think it is weaving through that curiosity I'm, I need to be stimulated which is
1: in that part of the passion and, and I think more people uh, are likely to jump ship and go to a different career now than they were even when I went through 10 15 20 years ago yeah. like it's just wasn't the done thing and it, it was and, and a lot of people make decisions well back then based on loyalty mm. I, 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 I'm loyal to my bank I'm loyal to my boss I'm loyal to my family like there was there was no it To jump ship was seen to be, uh, yeah, disloyal.
0: Yeah, and there's no one in this world that is going to care about your career more than the person in your mirror. That's right. And that's why we wrote the career book, Sort Your Career Out, because it is the next big thing. I did a quote the other day for a piece of media. It's like, you might not own a property, but you own a career. Yes. And you need to attend to it. It is your biggest asset. Jade said, I was tired of sitting at a desk all day and wanted to run into flaming buildings instead. That's cool. Firefighters, shout out. Jade, uh, Jade Luna, I've seen you in the Facebook group many, many times. You're a regular contributor. I want to interview you about your money story. Oh. I'm going to start to do some more of these myself this year now that I'm a bit more Free. recharged. And at the end of last year, I was having a bit of a break down. Um, and, <laughs> you know, Sarah stepped in and helped out a bit. Uh, so there you go, the community segment of the week. And just a couple of uh, housekeeping things. Uh, John's book, Sort Your Property Out, you can buy it today. Please, if you call this podcast home and you want to get some information, get some resources behind you, this is your book. If you want a gift for birthdays, Christmas, all that, Easter, do you do Easter gifts? I don't know. But This book, Sort Your Property Out, will change your life if you will let it, if you read it, if you buy it. There's an audio book coming as well. It's going to be on Kindle. Uh, You can go to sortyourpropertyout.com. If you've got no interest in property and you call this podcast home, it's your annual membership fee. You get it for under $30. We thank you for your support. Use, use it to level the table or something. Yeah, mm. I understand. Buy two. Mm. Uh, book club, we're doing our book club this year. It's not really formal, but we're just mentioning a book each month. February is Thanks for the Feedback by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen. At the end of each month, we'll put in the Facebook group, This Is Money, a post and we can discuss and you can let everyone know what you thought of the book, what you learned, and I might do a bonus episode um, At the end of each month, and just read everyone's comments. Uh, So we'll leave it there. Lastly, I forgot to mention, you may have heard it in an ad, but we are hitting the road. John and I are going to Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth. Sorry, Canberra, Hobart, Darwin, we can't get there, uh, but we're doing book launch events. Uh, We're not recording podcasts at these events, they're just a, a live couple of hours. John's going to be presenting on property. He'll touch on anything you want. Uh, There'll be mortgage brokers at each event. And I just want to thank Sphere Home Loans and Sky Wealth Partners of this podcast for partnering with us uh, for these events. So we'll bump out of the community segment of the week and uh, we'll get back into it. Joshua said, and I really want to camp on this and read a couple of people's responses and I might get you to read a couple of people's responses, John, mm. and then we'll chat about this. So Josh said, I'm sure it's being covered, but can someone point me to an episode that covers the potential doom and gloom one might have about probably never being able to get a house, kids stopping you from restudying, being a bit older and mentally dealing with the time you've wasted and the crisis in your mind once realised. Mathematically, it just seems so beyond many people. I'm sure it would have been covered, thanks. Well, we have talked about, you know, I feel behind and all that,
1: but do you want to just read Mutiara's comment? I'm an immigrant, came to Australia six years ago with only 5K, then started working used up all the money I earned to pay for my study, then worked a few months after my study finished, saved money only to lose it all during COVID, got no support from government because I wasn't entitled to anything with my visa. So pretty much I went back to zero and literally only had zero three years ago. But fast forward now, I'm about to buy my first house, have investments and emergency saving. Something that seemed impossible for me to see six years ago or three years ago. Could never imagine having what I have. I was also scared realizing being 30 with nothing back then. But don't ever lose hope and don't stop climbing because you can be whatever you want to be and you can get whatever you want to have only if you believe in yourself and never stop giving your best shot. Age is just a number. You can go as far as your mind lets you. Amen. I mean, that's a that's discussion point right there, isn't it? It's like, okay, we might have nothing now mm. regardless of What's in the rear vision mirror? I'm looking forward, and I'm just taking one step at a time, one day at a time. This person went to do some study, got into debt, or, or basically went back to zero through no fault of of their own, mm. and fast forward has a property, emergency fund, and can see the light. So, a lot of that, and you can see in the in the writing, is is the attitude and the approach, isn't it? Yeah, and Amy said, if it helps, I'm 44.
0: And only just now about to buy my first home, it feels like a dream I've been chasing for literally years where the goalpost keeps on moving, aka house prices going up, so that it was constantly just out of reach. I had to move to another state to pick up a better income and make it happen. It's tough and disheartening, but not impossible and you'll get there. I probably only started to really get my finances in order, though when I was about 36 and only started investing a couple of years ago. So, I think what I just wanted to pause on, Josh, was I want you to have hope for the future. Now, I don't know what your mental health is like. You've said it's, you know, been hard when you're kind of realizing and it's been weighing on your mind, but the first thing I want you to do is to make sure that you're actually mentally strong and healthy, and that's going to solve, not going to solve all your problems because, you know, I I take medication for mental health and have had my own struggles, but just getting the mental health under control can help you face some of the toughest things in your life, whether it is saving up. Now, the question is kids stopping you from restudying, that's not going to be forever. And you've said that, you know, you're a little bit older. I think you said that. Yeah. I'm being a bit older. Um, So what I would say is it's okay. We're here now. We can't change the past, but we can have hope for the future and we can put a plan in place. Just some practical things. If you've got consumer debt, you've got to focus on getting that sorted. Have you got a budget and a spending plan? You've got to get these structural things sorted. Even Amy said that I was 36 when I decided to get Mac together. I mean, I've got a friend who's just turned 41 and just bought their first home. So this is also a problem with Australia and the debacle that the housing market is and honestly – books like John's book, Sort Your Property Out, will help you navigate this. It's not going to get any easier in the short term, but we can put a plan in place. And then, you know, further study. I don't, this is interesting one, John. There are a lot of well-paid jobs in different industries and we'll carve out academia, we'll carve out medicine and all that stuff and being a vet and all that. But there are a lot of jobs that pay well that just require a bit of life and practical experience.
1: No forms, yeah.
0: So I wouldn't stress too much about this whole re-studying. Uh, like go no, back, Josh, to you know, buy a copy of the career book, sort your career out. Mm. I want you to go back to base camp. What are your values? What do you like doing? I honestly think you could probably move the needle in your life mm. without having to recommit to study.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And the the way the world rolls now, uh, customer service is an underrated skill to have. Mm. Like Josh, you great personality. Can you can you upskill in that space, right? And, and just and just get out there and, and put yourself forward. But I think that the key for me is, first of all, it may have. It may have taken courage for him to write this. Like it's fantastic that he's put this forward to, to the group because he's reaching out for, for advice and help. So that that's awesome. Um, being a bit older, I don't know how older he is, but don't feel as though you've lost time because it's you've decided to do what you've done when you did it, right? And and don't think that time is the barrier here think of it as a positive to say right now the next 10 years this is what I'm focusing on mm. and it may I may be wrong but you may be looking too far in advance you may be thinking oh I, I'm going to have a million dollar mortgage it's going to take me 30 years to pay it off and then I'll be 85 mm. right we can't think that far ahead because it'll stress us out and it'll it'll prevent us from making the short steps right now so just think the next year the next day the next month. Yeah, and life, it's not a
0: fixed photo. It's a motion picture. Like remember the old uh, reels? Yes. And it's like the old – when you used to go to the movies a million years ago, you'd hear the projector at the back and it'd have the film. So that film was just thousands of still images. So life is a whole heap of moving images. Mm. It's not the one position. And that's why I really wanted to camp on here. Anyone who's feeling disheartened – anyone that's feeling behind, yes, it's tough. Is it easy? No. But just start to put some steps in place to move slowly towards what you want. And my first thing to Josh is get that restudying out of your mind because I reckon you're a little bit older, you've got life experience. I reckon there's something in your career or field or something that you might be able to do without studying, different career, mm. maybe get an extra 10, 15 grand a year, and within three or four years, that's a house deposit. Lots of government schemes, you know, rewind a few weeks ago and listen to the how to buy a property in 2024. There is yep. government schemes with 5% deposit. It's not easy, but it's worth it. But you just need to, you know, come on, you can get up, you can do it. Mm. We're and this is why we do this podcast. We are encouraging you that there is a tomorrow
1: and it's not easy, but it's worth it to um,
0: to get up and keep fighting.
1: You're right about the mental health piece. That's extremely important in these sort of situations because that episode can bring us down, right down, and to the point of, of no return in some cases. But you, you mentioned falling behind or feeling as though I'm behind, mm. right? We've got to ask ourselves compared to what? right? Mm-hmm. Are we are we comparing ourselves to a Facebook group? Are we comparing ourselves to our friends or our family or do we feel a failure because of everyone around us that's perceivably done better than us, right? We've got to get that out of our mind, right? If we are comparing ourselves to someone in a developing country, we are absolutely miles ahead in a lot of ways. So we've just got to make sure we've got a positive mindset and we're telling ourselves a good story.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, We might just finish um, on a question or it was more of a comment from Lucy. It was a bit of – I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. (laughs) I wanted to talk about it. Can someone help me understand? When I was younger, getting a school lunch order was a big thing but now I can buy food for lunch whenever I choose. Getting a chocolate bar was a special treat. Now it's picking up whatever chocolate treat I feel like each day. Takeaway was once a week on a Friday. But now whenever we say we don't have food in the fridge or too tired, we just go and buy stuff – why is there not the same control around money there was when I was younger? Um, I always remember an example my friend said to me that her family of five kids would be given a packet of Tim Tams to share, so I'd get one each. I thought I was lucky as my mum was able to buy us a whole pack each. I understand there are differences in household incomes, choices of how financials are spent, etc. But my question, I wonder why has control of our consumerism have changed and become more lax than the past? Curious to hear, what do you think? Mm. What's your like? I've got a very instant response to that. What's yours?
1: Yeah, look, um, and we, Amy and I, my wife, we discuss this all the time. Like, our our kids are a product of our environment, and. We are what we are in 2024. We've got everything at our fingertips. Lucy's 100% right and and we have the same frustrations, but we can't run our life on what we did growing up as kids because, yeah, we had school lunch maybe once a week, once a month if we were lucky, a lunch order, right? Now it's, it's at our fingertips with Uber Eats and all this um, other stuff there. It's a product of where we're living right now. We've got everything. Marketing is just at all-time highs, just in our face, Everywhere we look, with laptops and and phones, and and our friends have maybe got things that are, are are better and greater than us. So now there's this FOMO, and there's it's just a continual reel. And we've got to, unfortunately, fortunately, whichever way you look at it, you've got to embrace it mm. and just create your own version that you're comfortable with.
0: Mm. When I was, you know, under ten years old, as my dad likes to remind me, you know, mum and dad low income, you know, non-qualified roles with a mortgage and interest rates are 17%. Mm. So there was this structural fact that wages weren't great and they're still not great relatively speaking, but interest rates at 17% relative to your earnings. On a 100,000 mortgage? On a 100,000 mortgage. Like it adds up. Yeah. Like if you're on 25 grand a year and you had a 100 grand mortgage, you know- <laughs> Wow, there's no money so I think that's a big thing um, I would also say from a societal level in Australia from the 2000s late 90s we had the big mining boom we've had China boom our economy is just strapped onto the growth in China over the last 20 thirty years so that's kind of been happening but also layered with you know Australia is heavily influenced by American culture yes. But the background with our law is British and our political system. is British, culture, American, right? When I first went to America in 2004, I was amazed. We went out for dinner. It was like a school night in America. We went to TGIF or somewhere like that. There was all these families out having dinner on a school night. Mm. I'm like, what the hell? Like, yeah, most people go out a few nights a week. Yeah. Like, So, it was just this cultural thing. We just go out. All the time. Yeah. And I think with what you talked about, like the internet, American consumer culture, welcome to capitalism, baby, convenience, it's all good, pew, 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 America. There's just many layers Mm. of why we are more um, lazy. Yeah. Because the money's there and, you know... The last time – well, I've talked to her before. The last time I used Uber Eats was last year at TAFE when I got a sub delivered and it was $37, $32. <laughs> like it's not happening ever again. I'm no. not – like I'm just not doing it. Yeah. So a lot of people have a lot of money that they waste on crap Yeah. and they whinge that they can't buy a house. Like compared yeah. to Josh who's like, oh, what am I going to do? If you're friggin' Uber Eatsing and eating out every second night in cafes mm. – it's going to be more than $120 a week or more. Yeah. Any wonder you can't afford a house. And I know it's not changing the problems. If house prices were 200 grand or 300 grand less, it's still a problem. But what measures have you put into place to really control your personal budget and spending? Mm. I don't buy the whole don't eat avocado, or, you know, buy a house. But when you're spending hundreds of dollars a week on going out, yeah. Oh, if you want to save money, cook at home, trust me.
1: Mm, or eat less Or eat less <laughs> That that uh, Facebook group With the um, How much we spend On groceries per week Wow There's some uh, Some cheap eating I, there I need to interview Some of those people I know I'm just like How do you spend $200 a week With four people Family of four With a dog Going back to the American thing We were travelling back From Victoria Over Christmas Saw a service station And my 10 year old Pipes up And said Dad do we need gas And I said Excuse me Wow
0: YouTube. Yeah.
1: Hasn't come from mum and dad. Nope. There's no gas there. It's just online. It's that's thick and sort of, fast. Yeah. Yep. And yep. they are having more influence on our kids than we are. Yep. And that's what we've got to be careful of.
0: Mm. Mm. That's fascinating, isn't it?
1: Mm.
0: Mm. Well, we might leave it there. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today on This Is Money. We're going to have a great year. Lots of stuff. Make sure you buy tickets to our events all around australia it's just a couple of hours have some drinks hang out with us we'll say hi can't wait john will talk about anything you want (laughs) my name's glenn james you are john pigeon and this is money
2: We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands
1: on which we live and work and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to this podcast. If you are interested in furthering your education around money, your career or property, we have three books that might help. Check out Sort Your Money Out, Sort Your Career Out and Sort Your Property Out. Find these wherever good books are sold or via the link in the podcast show notes.